3 triple Z. 92.3 FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Effie's back with another tour. Justin Amler with his one man, Abraham. Alex first reviews Shiver Baby, a comedy written by Emma Seligman, hitting the classic and Lido screens next week. My guest is Liz Davidson, founder of Our Kitchen Table, a great little charity doing amazing work. So let's get straight into it. Murray's guest is Josh Burns, Member of Parliament for McNamara. You're tuned into Lachaim here on 92.3 FM, 3 Z, with lots to come. Take it away, Murray. Josh Burns was elected Labor's federal MP for the seat of McNamara in 2019. McNamara replaced the seat of Melbourne Ports, held for 20 years for Labor by Michael Danby. Josh was born and raised in Caulfield, graduated from Monash University with a BA majoring in political studies and served as a senior advisor to the Premier of Victoria, Dan Andrews, before entering federal politics. Josh, welcome to L'Chaim. L'Chaim, Murray, L'Chaim. <laughs> we don't have a whiskey, but, uh, but it's great to be with you. Thank you. Good to have you on the show. A motion against unilaterally recognising a Palestinian state passed unanimously at the Liberal Party's Federal Council meeting in May. By contrast, recognising a Palestinian state is now an official part of the Labor Party's platform and Shadow Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong expects that this issue will be an important priority for the next Labor government. At a recent event hosted by the Executive Council of Australian Jewry, Anthony Albanese, while reiterating his support for a two-state solution, wasn't as open on whether a future Labor government would support recognition of a Palestinian state. There appears to be some disconnect between what is on the Labor Party's platform and what is being said in the public arena. I think our audience would be very interested to know if the Labor Party will recognise a Palestinian state or not. Well, that's a, that's a good question, Mori. Uh, let me make a couple of observations and, and try and answer it because I really don't think there is a yes or no answer, and I'll explain why. The first observation I'd make is that I actually don't think it's helpful for the Liberal Party or the Labor Party, if I'm honest, to be doing these sorts of motions at their conferences. I mean, you and I both know, Murray, that what effect that's going to have on the ground in the Middle East is bubkis to none. And so I think that these are pretty gratuitous motions in the best, you know, it, 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 even, even with the sort of most courteous of sort of uh, judgments. But putting that aside... Where are we at within the Labor Party? Well, the Labor Party had exactly the same wording put through its federal conference this year as it did in 2018. And what that wording was, was that they that the conference floor urged a future Labor government to recognise a Palestinian state and that that would be a priority for a future government. Now, that is exactly the same wording as what happened in 2018, where that same resolution passed through the Federal Labor Conference, of which I was not a federal member of parliament at that stage and certainly wouldn't have been the motion that I would have put forward. But 
one thing that was made really clear at the conference was what Penny Wong said, which was that this motion has no binding effect on a future Labor government. So a future Labor government is in no way obligated to go down the path of a recognition of a Palestinian state. What Anthony Albanese, I think, quite authoritatively said in a Zoom with the ECAJ a couple of weeks ago or last week, I lose track of time with all of these lockdowns, uh, but what he said was spot on in that if Australia was to go down the path of recognising a future Palestinian state, then there is a process that would need to be undertaken. That process would include things like consulting with stakeholders like the Australian Jewish community, but it also would include consulting with stakeholders like our intelligence services. What does ASIO think? What does the Department of Defence think? What does the Department of Foreign Affairs think? The other big consultation process that we would have to undergo, which I made this point in an article for the Jewish News, would be what does the President of the United States of America think about Australia unilaterally recognising a Palestinian state? And what implications would that have in America's efforts to bring forward negotiations in the region? And so all of that, as we know, like in any part of the Middle East, points to a particularly complicated process and a particularly complicated question that can't be answered with a yes or no. So I guess where the status quo is, is that, sure, there are a lot of people in the Labor Party that would like to see a Palestinian state progress. Personally, I I actually think it's in Israel's interest that we see a stable Palestinian state uh, sit alongside it that works collaboratively and and has economic partnerships and and has a a strong relationship with Israel. I mean, we're seeing the benefits of of that sort of a relationship, like what's unfolding between the UAE and Israel at the moment. I mean, it's certainly in Israel's interest to have good economic ties with its neighbours. But as we all know, we're a long way away from that at the moment. At the moment, the Palestinian leadership in the West Bank hasn't held an election for you know, well over 15 years. There is a great deal of concern around Mahmoud Abbas's ability to actually speak on behalf of the broader Palestinian grouping or people. Obviously, Hamas in Gaza is not an adequate partner in peace at this stage. I mean, Australia designates Hamas as a terrorist organisation. So, you know, it's a complicated picture at the moment. What are we recognising? Is it really in Australia's interest to be going down this sort of rushed path to recognise parts of a Palestinian state when it's not ready to do so? I would say that for all of those reasons, while I'm a firm believer in a two-state solution, which means that, you know, I think it's in Israel's interest for there to be two states. I don't think having one state is at all a viable solution. In fact, I think it would be devastating and diabolical for Israel. But I do think that we need to be real about the status quo on the ground, about what recognition would mean and what are we recognising. And and I think Anthony Albanese quite rightly pointed out the pretty extensive process that a future government would have to go under and what the motion that went through the national conference, a federal government would be under no obligation to come to a resolution due to that motion. So, Look, it's, you know, it's not ideal. I also don't think that what the Prime Minister did prior to the Wentworth by-election where he sort of rushed this Jerusalem recognition and then ended up only recognising West Jerusalem, uh, you know, go and tell people in East Jerusalem if they're not, or, or living in the old city, that they're not part of the capital of Israel. I mean, good luck, you know, doing that. I don't think that's in Australia's interest. And the, the final point I'll make, Maury, is that, you know, whether you're the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, I think you really need to be careful about how we are politicising foreign policy with domestic politics. 
And, you know, I've worked with Dave Sharma on a number of different things, including an international task force on anti-Semitism. I work with David Southwick locally, who's the member for Caulfield. And I will always stand with coalition members, as we did at the recent rally at South Caulfield uh, at Maple Street um, in Princess Park around the latest conflict, uh, when it comes to bipartisan support for the Jewish community and bipartisan support for Israel. It's something that long after my career is over, we need to ensure that that remains in Australia. My main objective is not to just make sure the Labor Party is having sensible foreign policy, which you know we are and I'm confident in, um, but it's also to ensure that long after my career is done that we have both the Liberal Party willing to work with the Labor Party when it comes to managing and, and representing the Jewish community and the Labor Party willing to work with the Liberal Party. It's essential, and if we don't have that, it will be diabolical for the Jewish community in Australia. Mm. There seems to be a lot of significance placed on the fact that recognition has gone onto the party platform. What is the significance of that, if any? The honest answer, Murray, is that significance is just that it stays on the platform until it's removed. It's kind of like on the books until it's taken off, whereas a resolution would have to be put each year. That's really the only difference between a resolution and the platform. But in terms of what the actual resolution requires the Labor Party to do, whether it's a resolution or on the platform, the difference is absolutely zero. And it's symbolic. And that's, you know, you can read into that what you will. But the reality is, is that it actually has zero binding implications for the Labor Party in terms of dictating foreign policy and binding us to particular foreign policy. So it'll be on the platform until we take it off the platform, but that doesn't mean that it actually has an effect on our policy. The wording of the motion is really important because it it isn't that a Labor government will, it's that the conference urges a Labor government to. That is a big difference because foreign policy, as Penny Wong rightly pointed out, can't be dictated to by the floor of a conference. It, It needs to be an extensive process undertaken by a government things that I sort of referred to before uh, are crucial if Australia was to undertake this. You know, why, why would Australia undertake a unilateral recognition? I mean, we wouldn't, you know, we, we, we don't think it's in the interest of, of Australia to do so at this stage, given the complications on the ground. So, um, so you know, look, it's, it, it's, I, I honestly think, Murray, it's a bit of a reflection of where things are at in the region. I mean, it's people want to see progress. People want to see development. I really want to see it. No, I don't want to see violence in the region. Like, why? No, no one in Australia wants to see, and, and, I, and I would, you know, especially include the Jewish community. You know, we, we value the sanctity of life. No one wants to see children in Gaza being entangled in, in an awful conflict. I mean, no one does. It's, it's, it's just devastating. We want to see progress. We want to see things move. But at the same time, what is our role as an Australian government or, or, as, a, or as a potential future Australian government? Uh, and that, that question needs to be answered seriously, calmly and, uh, and properly by a future Labor government, and I'm confident it would be. There appear to be spot fires breaking out within the Labor Party with regards to the Israel-Palestinian issue. And during the past decade or so, Israel has become an increasingly problematic issue for the leadership of the party to balance. We have the vitriolic statements by Bob Carr, which have split the New South Wales Labor right faction. The New South Wales state Labor seat of Kogara recently called on the next Labor government to apply bans to products produced in Israeli settlements and any investment or finance associated with those settlements. While at its recent state conference, the Queensland branch of the ALP accused Israel of ethnic cleansing and congratulated the Federal Party for reaffirming the 2018 resolution supporting recognition. 
On the other hand, Michael Danby has been extremely forceful, to put it mildly, in his condemnation of this platform item. These reactions seem more than simply reasonable debate, and there doesn't appear to be any other foreign affairs issue that has produced such divided feelings within the Labor Party. How do you see this strong divide, and can it be resolved? Maria, I, I, I mean, look, there's no doubt that some of the branch activity internally in the Labor Party is a bit more wide-ranging than, than, than some of the uh, some of the uh, views or um, positions of the Federal Parliamentary Labor Party, and, and that's always going to be the case. I mean, you know, whether it's the Middle East or whether it's uh, whether it's other reforms, you know, it's often that, 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 that members of political parties are, are going to be out in front of the actual political parties. That's what being an activist is all about. So I, I'm not really, I'm not really, I don't think there's anything sort of really that shocking in, in particular activists who are focused about this being um, quite, you know, quite out there. I mean, and, we've, and it's not just the Labor Party. I mean, we saw Ken O'Dowd, who was the Nationals member, um, refer to Israel as an apartheid state. I mean, it was it was in in the federal parliament. I mean, it was it was ridiculous and and shocking. And so so that's you know that's that's a reality across all parties and across all political parties. As you know, I'm not I'm not even referring back. I'm not even getting into the Greens. I mean, they are they are even more you know, like they they are more far gone than than even Ken. Um, so so it's let's you know let's not focus too much of our attention on some of the grassroots sort of characters what, what i would just point out to the fact is that leadership matters murray it really matters on this and i think that the leadership that anthony albanese showed last week and i think the leadership that penny wong has consistently shown uh, and they are the two people who are uh, in the positions within the labor party to determine our policy and will steer our policy is not only firm and solid but but good and anthony uh, anthony's Anthony made clear last week that no member of the Federal Labor Party supports BDS, and we don't. Anthony also made clear that the motions put forward by Bob Carr would be dismissed and that he won't be allowing them to, to, um, to move forward in the New South Wales conference. Uh, and, and he also was absolutely uh, extremely firm about the, the sort of terminology that is used by by various people in this debate as being not only ahistorical but also deeply unhelpful in the pursuit of peace in the region and and the apartheid uh, reference where he said last week that not only is it uh, not only is it ahistorical it actually undermines the the experiences of uh, of black people in South Africa and and so I think I think you know, sometimes it's easy to stand up against the Liberal Party. In fact, it's, it's, it's often easy because, you know, there are political opponents uh, and to be critical of them. But it takes another thing to stand up and reaffirm our position within the Labor Party. And I think Anthony Albanese showed real leadership in that last week. And I think that that was really important and, and it probably was required, but I think it was important. So, so look, I, I, you know, I can't control what emotion gets up in a Queensland Labor Party conference. I've never been to a Queensland Labor Party conference. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm sure most of it's very uninteresting and then occasionally they'll throw in one of these motions that sort of blows up the whole thing. But, but you know, all I can say is that, is that what we seek to be in the Labor Party is a government that 
seeks to improve the lives of Australians. We're not there to fight these sort of cultural wars that certain people get fixated on. And, and I think we need to, I think we need to just, you know, if it, if it, if it's about reassuring people, then that's fine. And I think it's important to do so. But I also would say that, that the views of the federal parliamentary labor party are, um, are solid. People can have confidence in them that Anthony Albanese showed the sort of leadership that he will not let the Labor Party descend into these sort of cultural culture wars by sort of fringe activists. What we need is is a focus on how we're going to win the next election, how we're going to improve the lives of Australians uh, and and what policies are going to not only shape our country in the next 12 months, but the next three, five, 10 years time. And that's what we're focused on. And uh, and. And I think Albo and Penny have been, um, yeah, really productive in the way in which they've managed this. Thank you very much, Josh, for appearing on Lafayette and uh, for taking the time away from your federal committees and um, presumably also planning for the upcoming election. And uh, we really appreciate you appearing on Lafayette. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Maureen. And I really just will finish with by saying I, these are pretty extraordinary times and I, I just hope that everyone who's listening stays safe and gets vaccinated and looks after themselves and I look forward to seeing people in the real world in the not-too-distant future. Thank you. There's something revolving Whatever may come The world keeps revolving They say the next big thing is here That the revolution's near But to me it seems quite clear That it's all just a little bit of history repeating
I'm Ernie Singer, and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. Defense Minister Benny Gantz said Tuesday that Lebanon is responsible for two rockets fired during the pre-dawn hours at the Western Galilee as it allows terrorists to operate within its territory. One rocket was intercepted and the other landed in an open area, so no injuries or damage were reported hours before a visit to the area by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. The Israel Defense Forces responded to the rockets with artillery fire and estimated that terrorist organizations of land of Israel Arabs living in Lebanon launched the rockets. Israel National News reports that Bennett said during the visit, Lebanon is on the verge of collapse like any country in which Iran is based. Its citizens have been taken hostage by Khamenei and Nasrallah in favor of Iranian interests. It is unfortunate, but we will not accept a leakage of the situation in Lebanon into Israel. The exchange came hours after Syria's official news agency reported that air defense systems acted against an Israeli air aggression in the Al-Safira area of northern Syria. The Britain-based opposition Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said the strikes targeted weapons depots inside Syrian military posts that belonged to Iranian-backed militia and were followed by loud explosions. News agencies said a major power line was hit. Israel National News reports security forces arrested six young suspects from eastern Jerusalem Monday evening on suspicion of involvement in riots, assaulting a passerby and assaulting a police officer. Ynet says the Egged Bus Company reported 11 rock-throwing attacks on its buses in Jerusalem on Sunday, mostly around the old city's Damascus Gate. One person was hospitalized with a head injury, and a number of buses suffered shattered windows and other damage. On Monday, the Palestinian Authority and its parent Palestine Liberation Organization attacked Prime Minister Bennett and his defense of police action protecting Jewish visitors to the Temple Mount on Sunday, calling it incitement to a religious war and terror, even though Bennett walked back his support for freedom of religion at the holy site. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid informed the Jordan-based Muslim Waqf Authority that the status quo has been maintained. The Prime Minister told Chief Executive Officer Alan Jope of the London-based multinational company Unilever on Tuesday that Israel will act aggressively against the global Ben & Jerry's ice cream subsidiary's announcement on Monday that it will boycott the area beyond the 1949 armistice line at the end of the current local production contract at the end of 2022. The parent company used the term occupied Palestinian territories while differing with the subsidiary about its continued presence in Israel. The Jewish press reports a number of stores in the United States have stopped carrying the ice cream. Local producer Avi Zinger told Channel 12 Television on Monday he has no intention of stopping sales in Judea and Samaria, despite pressure from the company to do so for the last 18 months, which escalated during the recent Gaza fighting. Speaking on behalf of his hundreds of workers, he expressed the fear of a local boycott of the product and hoped that things would change before the end of the contract. A number of officials on the Israel Dairy Board said the Israeli company should not be punished for the decision of the global company. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and Ambassador to the U.S. and the United Nations Gilad Erdan urged 35 governors of various U.S. states which have laws against the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel on Monday to take action against Ben and Jerry's under those laws, noting that the decision also harms Palestinian Authority residents. Erdogan said earlier this week that he will demand that U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres hold a debate on U.N. funding mechanisms in response to a new report by the Imtirtsu watchdog that revealed $40 million in U.N. funding to pro-BDS and terror-linked groups that incited against Israel under the guise of humanitarian activity between 2016 and 2020. The health ministry said Tuesday morning that 1,642 new coronavirus cases were recorded between Monday and early Tuesday, the highest tally in more than four months. Monday's infection rate was 1.86, up over recent days. 
The government confirmed it planned to soon require all arrivals to enter quarantine regardless of vaccination status and discourage travel abroad, but said it would not close Ben-Gurion Airport. The Knesset voted on Monday to quadruple the number of so-called red countries with high infection rates. And Prime Minister Bennett warned that authorities would not tolerate a lack of adherence to new virus restrictions, speaking ahead of a planned effort to significantly increase enforcement of regulations meant to curb the spread of infections. This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. We often hear of the extensive work that our major communal organizations undertake for our community. Here at L'Chaim, as on my previous radio program, we focus both on our large and smaller organizations and charities. One such small charity that flies under the radar and punches way above its weight is Our Kitchen Table. Joining us tonight on L'Chaim is the founder of Our Kitchen Table, Liz Davidson. Welcome to L'Chaim. Hello, good evening, and thank you so much for having me on board. It's it's an absolute honour to come and join you boys there. Thank you, Liz. Good to touch base with you again. Liz, I first attended a small Our Kitchen Table event a few years back that was hosted by David Southwick, MP for Caulfield, where I shed a few tears and was blown away by the wonderful work and things that Our Kitchen Table does. Please, what is Our Kitchen Table all about? How long have you been gathering around the uh, kitchen tables? What do you do? Uh, Well, formally, we have been together for as an association for four years. Um, And it is really about sitting around the table together. Everybody is welcome. Everybody's skills are welcome to come and join together and it's about connecting with each other. It's about communicating with each other. It's about creating something for the community and it gives us purpose. It gives the volunteers purpose and it's just amazing what we can achieve by coming together. When we sit around the table, we solve a lot of first world issues. We discuss all sorts of things. But at the same time, we're making beautiful products for people who are in need. And over the years, we, we have tended to focus on children and women who are fleeing domestic violence, who are starting up new homes, but then it sort of spread to people who are homeless, to asylum seekers who are really struggling here in Australia throughout this whole COVID period, and basically anyone who can't get food or clothing or or blankets or, you know, just needs sustenance and needs some love. So that's what we like to do. We make our products that are infused with love and they go off to to help brighten somebody else's life. Beautiful. Give us some samples of the products. Give us some examples. During these COVID times, it's not one of our normal years. We have really responded to what has been asked of us rather than doing what we normally do. We recently had a packing day where we made 30 backpacks that were full of essential items and necessary items for a woman to survive for a few days on her own. And these were prepared for an organisation called Prison Network. And these were made for women who are leaving prison. And what happens is that most often when women are leaving prison, they have nowhere to go. And so Prison Network, their connection to set them up somewhere temporarily until they can find a new home, this is just to help them get started again. So we had one of those days. 
what else did you want to know about what we've done recently? The, the things that you make and create and where oh, yeah. they go. And naturally, last year was COVID horribilis. <laughs> there was very little gathering around the tables. You, like everybody else, adopted the Zoom phenomenon and you had some excellent guests, uh, speakers for your OKT <laughs> Zoom events. What are some of the other charities that you support? Yeah, so, look, uh, you're 100% right. Last year was one of those years that it was a call to action. And this being my passion project, I really worked hard in trying to recruit a lot more volunteers to help us out. We had a team of sewers that were making masks and scrubs for doctors at the Alfred Hospital and um, for junior doctors. We had teams of people that were making pamper packs for first responders. We had a team of people that were preparing food for the homeless in St Kilda and taking it around to the streets and feeding people. That was amazing. But then there were a bunch of people who were really quite nervous to go out. They were just terrified. And I felt it was very important to stay connected. So with your help, we started the on-air Zoom and trying to reach out to those people that were frightened to come outside. But just to let them know that there was somebody who cared and that we were providing uh, topics of interest that they could get involved with. So we had speakers from different charities that came on board and spoke about what they did. So we had the team from Kehillat Nitsan and Father Bob Maguire. We had one of the first female rabbis in Australia, in Sydney, who spoke about the work that she does and how she gets her life together. And we spoke to the Asylum Seeker Coordinator, and that was that was pretty awesome. We had art therapists online who did some work with all our volunteers and they made things online. We had Charlene Miller take us through making risottos, which was pretty amazing, and I know you could smell the wafts of mushroom risotto coming through. Yeah. You know, it was a variety of people from teaching arts and crafts to learning about what other charities are doing and learning new things about the general community. It was an amazing lineup of people. The one that stands to that I can recollect that was uh, also had me in tears was a, a little lady and her husband, Dana Frankson. I've forgotten her name, a Greek woman. Yes. Uh, that does very similar things to you. Yes, that was Jane Yes, She was. She was amazing. Now, Liz, two days ago, our kitchen table launched its first online silent auction. Please tell us what that is all about. All right. So we had an event that was happening on the 1st of August, and that was going to be the culmination of our online auction in which we have a lot of these beautiful dolls that have been made by fashion designers and donated to us. I know everyone in Radio Land can see these, but they are beautiful. We had Cara Baker make this fantastic doll. She made actually a few dolls for us. We had uh, Mickey in the van, a wonderful designer. We had Gwendolyn, who's a bridal designer, make the most amazing outfits for us. So we actually have a current online auction. This is really to help boost our, our coffers where we're really low. As it, as it turns out, we didn't ask for membership last year. And so we're really looking for some funding. So this online auction to help help prosper that. The online auction, it's free to join in. It's uh, 32 auctions and look for uh, a kitchen table on that. 
and you will see a bunch of fabulous uh, items. Apart from the dolls, we've got a beautiful diamond pendant that has been made specifically. It's a heart shape. It's made specifically for us by Ian Sharp, and that's being auctioned. We have hamper packs. We have um, all sorts of variety of things for every genre. Lots of goodies there. Lots of goodies there, and you've had lots of... uh... Your list of supporters and sponsors there is, is amazing. And that's all on Facebook, the Our Kitchen Table Facebook page. Liz, if people would like to get involved with Our Kitchen Table, perhaps even become a member, um, what should they do? And the membership's only $40. Thank you. I need you to keep telling people that. Thank what you. should they do? Right. So our website, our Facebook page and Instagram is ourkitchentable.org.au. Please jump on, have a look at what we have. We have some fabulous things that that have been donated by people constantly. We have ladies that are sewing for us, for our dolls, our doll project. We have knitters. We have all sorts of people that are making things for us. So if you'd like to get involved and put your hands in, you don't also have to be talented in any of those things. We have teachers that will will teach you we have a knit and sip group that is going to be starting soon. It'll be a nighttime group where our lovely Vivian Golubek is going to be teaching women how to knit um, with a glass of wine in your hand as well. <laughs> so they will be able to have a Nazrovi and a Lahaim and uh, learn how to knit or crochet. It's, it's all there on the Our Kitchen Table Facebook page. Liz Davidson, founder of... Uh, the wonderful little organisation, as I said, punches way above its weight, our kitchen table. Yasha Koyach to you. We're really appreciative of you joining us here on Lachaim with your great Thanks, work. Guys. Thank Stay you well. so much, guys. Thank you. You too. You too. And good luck with continuing at 3 Z. Thank you. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Like you could fall and no one would hear? Let that lonely feeling wash away Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand You can reach, reach out your hand And oh, someone will come running And I know Take you home Even when the dark comes crashing through When you need a friend to carry you And when you're broken on the ground You will be found So let the sun come streaming in Cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again Lift your head and look around You will be found
when the dark comes crashing through When you need someone to carry you When you're broken on the Wow, what a beautiful song. You Will Be Found from the musical and movie Dear Evan Hansen. Earlier on, we heard Propeller Heads featuring the wonderful Shirley Bassey, history repeating itself. And it certainly does. How about that tireless Liz Davidson with the Our Kitchen Table team, knitting and making lots and lots of things for people who are struggling a bit and going through some tough times. Yasha Koyak to all down there at OKT. Please check out the Our Kitchen Table website and Facebook page. Guess what? Time for Exploring Israel with Effie here on Lachaim 2 Live on 92.3 FM, 3 Triple Z. Please stick around. Explore Israel with Effie. Masada, Caesarea, Jerusalem. For many, these places are no more than the name of a city or national park. However, for others... These places are far more than just names of a place on a map. These sites are some of the many hidden gems which exemplify and are an integral part of our Jewish history, heritage and culture. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Tread on the land where ancient mighty empires once existed and ruled and walk in the footsteps of the biblical figures from the Old and New Testament in order to hear, feel, touch and taste this magical land of Eretz Israel. Explore Israel with Effie for an unforgettable experience. Shalom Aleichem, Bokatov, Effie Yacobi. Welcome back to Lechaim. Shalom, Shalom, Bokatov Moshe from Effie here in Eretz Israel in the middle of a heat wave. But that's not what's uh, catching the uh, headlines today in Eretz Israel. Today we have to contend with the worrying sign of a partial and perhaps even total boycott by that massive company Unilever who owns Ben & Jerry's to boycott not only the distribution of ice creams in the so-called West Bank, but in Israel in total. That's what's catching everybody's imagination and the backlash is coming forward. It, it, it's gone viral down under and around the world. Call for uh, boycotts and uh, deservedly so. Um, how do you think Israel's going to handle it? Uh, Israel will take an aggressive stand. There's no such thing that uh, 192 countries, of which they sell to 190, and amongst them regimes who have butchers in power, Syria, China, Nigeria, Rwanda, you name it, Myanmar, and yet that doesn't bother anybody that they're killing off people in the hundreds of thousands but if we close a terrace on a building, a home on the top of a hilltop somewhere in the West Bank, the whole world, or in this case Unilever and Benadiris, go bananas and we'll boycott you for that. Double standards, pure anti-Semitism. Absolutely. And uh, that means no more Rexona deodorant, OMO or Surf 
or Streets Ice Cream for me because I say let's boycott all the Unilever products. Effie, where are you taking us? Right, so guys, let's go explore Israel with Effie on uh, 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z, and Lechaim. So where are we going? We're going to Ashkelon, Ashkelon National Park, located on the Mediterranean coast, south of the little bit of Ashkelon on Route 4. Best season all year round, guys, and you can spend at least three hours in this phenomenal park itself. The origin of the word Ashkelon is apparently derived from the word Shekel, an appropriate name for a city that was over the centuries a major commercial port. The national park is situated to the south of the city on an ancient hillock, a tell, where antiquities from all periods were exposed. The quantity of standing and strewn pillars is simply mind-boggling. The city has a rich history. From its very beginnings thousands of years ago, the rampart that is there that served as a wall for the Canaanite city is about 4,000 years old. And approximately at that period, it is mentioned even by name in the Egyptian execration texts that we know of. Because of its location on the so-called sea road, the Via Maris, leading from Egypt northwards, it was an important location for invaders and rulers. Thus, it was conquered many times and rebuilt just as often. Ascalon is mentioned in the book of Joshua as part of the land that remained the Israelites did not conquer. However, it was conquered after the death of Joshua and then retaken by the Philistines and became one of their five main principal cities. On the death of Saul and his son Jonathan in their battle against the Philistines, David in Samuel 2, chapter 1, verse 19, Thy beauty, O Israel, upon thy high places is slain. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gart, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. When Philistia came under the Assyrian sovereignty, beginning in 734 BCE, the king of Ashkelon joined Hezekiah, the king of Judah, in an alliance against Assyria. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city to its very foundations, but it was re-established and flourished in the Persian period. Alexander the Great turned it into a Hellenistic city, and it became a center of independent Greek culture, even though Jews and other ethnic communities lived there. The city maintained its independence throughout the Hashmonaim and Herodian dynasties. During the Great Revolt against the Romans, there were fierce battles here between the Jews and the Gentiles. During the Roman period, the city rose to its greatness and counted among its citizens several scholars and Jewish sages. The city continued to prosper in the Byzantine times, and its name even appears on the renowned Madaba map and in other mosaics. The Arabs conquered the city in the early 7th century and called it Ascalon. The Crusaders were here and conquered it in 1153 until the Mamluk Sultan Baibars rocked up, totally destroying it in 1217. So what do we have in this national park? You've got the magnificent gate of this Canaanite city. Archaeologists expose this earthen rampart, talking about 2,550 BCE, more than two kilometers long, 15 meters high, and 30 wide. All that is left is a gate with its arc intact, and that's estimated to be 4,000 years old, the oldest gate in known written history. The Roman Basilica, the impressive third century structure, is in the center of the park. 110 metres long, 35 metres wide. In the centre is an open courtyard surrounded by pillars, many of which have been restored. Excavations exposed marble statues. Today the place exhibits a statue of the winged Nike, the goddess of victory, and the statue of Isis, 
the Egyptian goddess that appears here in the form of Tish, the goddess of fortune for the city. The well of Antilla. This is located north of the road. The device used to draw water from the well and was operated by a cow, a donkey, or a camel. The water was used for irrigation and even has a church in it. And this church was built during the Byzantine period in the 5th century AD with six granite pillars used to support a gallery and an inclined roof. So, guys, you don't have to go far. 40 minutes south of Tel Aviv, you just bang everybody in the car. You've got the esky, you got it in the boot. So what are we waiting for? Head out towards Ashkelon and uh, have a great time at this park. And aside from that, there's so many other things to do around it. You won't regret it. Small interest free, but worth every single penny. So, guys, that's all from me, from Effie here in Eretz Israel in the middle of a heat wave on this schwitzy day. Until next week, when we once again explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z, L'chaim. All the best, guys. Catch you next week. 4,000 years ago, one man changed the world. He looked around and saw a world he could not believe in. He saw a world he could not relate to. He saw a world with which he didn't agree. And rather than be a part of it, he decided to stand separately. He decided to stand independently. He decided to stand alone. He believed in a single God rather than a multitude of idols around him. That man was Abraham, and his covenant with God made him the first Jew, our original forefather. And in the same covenant, God promised him a land of milk and honey, a land in which the Jews would be able to call their own. It was a belief so strong it caused Abraham to leave the only world he ever knew and everything inside it behind him and travel to a strange new land, a strange new world and a whole new beginning. He was a simple man with a simple belief, a belief that changed everything we thought we knew. One man. And on that journey he began, a journey we still carry on today, he met many people and traveled to many places and had many adventures. But most importantly, he became the father of a people that still exists today a people who still live in that same land promised 4,000 years ago. A people who still believe in that promise, even though the world doesn't. But Abraham was a man of the future, not the past. So he decided to purchase a cave and a surrounding land from a guy named Ephron. He paid him 400 shekels of silver in a deal complete with witnesses and documentation. And with this purchase, he established that Hebron would belong to the Jewish people forever and ever. It was a place that he and his family would be buried to rest forever on Jewish land. UNESCO, who is supposed to safeguard the cultural and historical heritage of people, decided to declare that deal null and void. They decided to erase history. They decided, rather than safeguard the cultural integrity of the Jewish people, to destroy it instead. Or attempt to. Because a collection of countries, many which don't even give their citizens basic human rights, don't get to the southernness. They have no authority, they have no right, they have no integrity, and they have no shame. The continued, continued farcical UNESCO votes are not about culture or history or freedom or democracy or safeguarding anything. It has nothing to do with Hebron or Jerusalem. It has only to do with destroying the Jewish people, their rights, their history, their culture, their link to a land promised to them almost 4,000 years earlier. But history is an old beast and it remembers things long after those who have passed through it have faded away. The view of UNESCO, the Arab world and all those others who seek to destroy the Jewish people under the banner of what they call social justice will fail. 
Jews have a long and deep church, his, church history in the land of Israel. There's a bond entrenched in ancient covenants, land transactions, historical residency, and roots that go so deep that there is nothing on this earth that can ever rip them away. From Abraham until today, is eternal and still very much intact. This is Justin Emler for the Chaim to Life. A show that is really a show sends you out with a kind of a glow and you say as you go on your way that's entertainment. With Alex first. A sexually charged comedy, Shiver Baby is an awkward delight. Daniela, Rachel Senot, is a 20-something-year-old sugar baby, part of a close-knit Jewish community. Her highly opinionated mother, Debbie, Polly Draper, who's constantly bickering with her father, Joel, Fred Malamud, loves her dearly, but is controlling and smothering. Debbie invites Danny to attend the Shiva Minion, the memorial service, for a member of the community who's passed away. Danny does so. Mind you, she struggles not to appear disingenuous because she really doesn't know who the Shiva Minion is for. As soon as Danny arrives, she spots a friend she grew up with, but someone she's desperately trying to avoid. It soon becomes clear that something went down with that friend, Maya, Molly Gordon, a law student. Meanwhile, soon thereafter, Danny does a double take when she spots the gentleman who she has just serviced. He, Max, Danny DeFerrari, is equally taken by surprise. Both appear to genuinely like one another, but things are about to get decidedly more uncomfortable. That happens when Danny discovers Max is married to a beautiful non-Jewish blonde entrepreneur, Kim, Dinah Agron, and the pair has an 18-month-old daughter, both of whom join Max. Further, the history of Danny's relationship with Maya is also revealed, as the cattiness between that pair continues. Shiva Baby becomes an hilarious free-for-all with a crackerjack final act. The movie works magnificently with Jewish cliches. Think stereotypes, food, weight, career and relationships. Characterizations are deliberately inflated, but relatable, and in the main, plausible, notwithstanding a few instances where I felt the exaggeration went too far. Writer and director Emma Seligman has done a fine job capturing the claustrophobic nature of Danny's increasingly harried mind. The vast majority of the action takes place at the home where the Shiva Minion is taking place. The camera often focuses on Danny's body language, her actions and interactions with lightning impact. The stringed score by composer Ariel Marx adds to the tension. Much credit goes to the actors, Rachel Senot and Molly Gordon, for the work they've put into crafting their characters. Senot brilliantly captures the embarrassment and fear involved in the predicament Danny, who hasn't determined what she'll make of her life, finds herself in. Gordon appears to effortlessly turn up the heat at will. There's also much in the looks between Senot and Danny DeFerrari. Shiva Baby has been designed to put a smile on your dial, and it succeeds in doing so. If this isn't the most uncomfortable memorial service to which you've been privy, I'd have to say your life is a whole lot more out there than mine. Shiva Baby scores a 7.5 out of 10. 
for more of Alex's reviews of theatre, musicals and movies, you can go to Theatre First Podcast and Movies First Podcast and or to the website itellyouwhatithink.com. Now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. Melbourne kosher retailers boycott Ben and Jerry's. Game on! Aussie Jews gear up for Olympics. South African expats mourn from afar. End of an era as Solomon shuts up shop. Baby named in honour of Itty Ainsworth. Dusty sets out on new pathway. School slams apparent drug abusers. Young Jewish climate warriors clashes on Temple Mount. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from newsagents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Have you heard the news? What did it say? That's another Lachaim in the can. Murray with Josh Burns, Labor MP for Federal Seat of McNamara, about the recognition of a Palestinian state being put on the Labor platform with lots of internal divisions. Liz Davidson with Our Kitchen Table, a great little charity punching above its weight. Exploring Israel took us to the Ashkelon National Park. Justin Amler, One Man Abraham, I loved it. Alex First with the movie Shiver Baby, hitting the classic and Lido screens next week. Good luck to all our Aussie and Israeli Olympians about to take on the world in Tokyo. And Mazeltov Brisbane, Olympics 2032, here we come. We lost a great radio friend a couple of years back, Nathan Mond. He would have been 66 today. I miss you, mate. One last comment to Unilever with their Fashtinkener, Schmuck and Schmeri's anti-Israel, anti-Semitic ice cream. Take a flying jump and brachafis. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes, half an hour, a recording of tonight's L'Chaim program at 3ZZZ.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the L'Chaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3 Z. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at Lachaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. Please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3 Z for $16. And for seniors, only $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banke, Dr. Mori Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. How about that Amazon man, Jeff Bezos, who was up, up and away into space yesterday? I watched it live, simply breathtaking. And who remembers where they were yesterday, 52 years ago, when man landed on the moon? I was in the Melbourne High School Assembly Hall watching the little black and white TV screen. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So, Frank Sinatra, a great friend of Israel's, closing out tonight's Lachaim with his Fly Me to the Moon. Until next week... Stay well and COVID safe. L'chaim. Am Yisrael Chai and peace.
Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars And let me see what spring is like On Jupiter and Mars In other words Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me Fill my heart with song And let me sing forevermore You are all I long for All I worship and adore In other words Please be true In other words I love you Song, let me sing for. 